Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Brandon and everybody. Just very quickly, if you uh, at any of our kids or teen camps uh, were a sponsor, or if you just went uh, on to Toronto as an adult sponsor, or if you went to the middle school mission trip as a sponsor. All of you who have served as sponsors, would you just go ahead and stand up? And if, if they've fallen asleep, help them to stand up right there next to you. Look at that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Could not do it without you. Um, Man, I, this, is, this is a good week when we, when we are, we were busy this week. You may not have sensed it or known it or felt it, but we were busy in multiple countries this week, in multiple contexts this week, and so thank you to all of you who kind of helped that to be the case. Um, we are working through a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's entitled Kingdom Come. And we have started every time like this, I'm going to do less and less of this, but I want to make sure I keep this in front of you. Uh, This is you, this is us, this is uh, an iceberg that represents who you are and who I am as a believer and who we are together as believers. And most of the time, the teaching and the preaching that we hear has to do with actions. Do this, don't do this. But the Sermon on the Mount aims lower than that, at at who you really are at your core. So we want to know what it is that shapes your desires. And so in in asking the question, what shapes your desires, we have to go even deeper than your desires. We go all the way down here to story or worldview. Because, because, now, now catch this, you tell me the giant story that you are living, the life that you are leading, and it will make sense to me then what desires come out of that. For example, if you decide I am going to die as the wealthiest human being of all time, if that is the grand story that you are living, then there are certain desires that are going to grow out of that giant story and certain actions that will come out of those desires that come out of that story. What I'm saying to you is this. The Sermon on the Mount attacks us, confronts us at the lowest, deepest levels and asks to, seeks to switch out life stories, those giant worldview stories. And I said this to you last week, and so hear it again. I think you could call conversion or salvation that moment when you finally decide to switch out stories, giant worldview stories. Jesus has the audacity to say, I am telling a better story than you are living. 
And when, and when we finally ex- accept that and acknowledge that and choose that, that is a moment of conversion. What is being converted there is sort of that giant world view or, or that giant story, that grand narrative. Now, I said this to you last week. I, so I think salvation then is a matter of orientation. And I think sanctification, another huge word that we use a lot in our tradition, which means to recover the image of God, if salvation is a matter of orientation, then sanctification is a matter of vocation. In other words, what are you doing with your life? And sanctified people end up doing with their lives what Jesus does with Jesus' life. You end up understanding that your mission is the mission of God. Now, you may draw a paycheck somewhere, but you have so tightly and closely aligned your life and your purposes and your desires and therefore your actions with the person of Christ that it is hard, as, as I borrow the, the language from the Apostle Paul, it's hard to kind of tell us apart, hard to tell you apart, you and this Jesus character. So the Sermon on the Mount is trying to affect that kind of change in our collected mind and heart. It's not just about shaping your actions. It's not just about telling you what to do and what not to do. And maybe no passage does that more than today's passage. It's about that deepest part your story, or your worldview. Here's the problem. Sometimes, sometimes the problem is Scripture. <laughs> Here's the problem. Um, I've already done this to my class, so I don't mind asking them again, but across the sanctuary, if you're willing to identify yourself as having a tattoo, would you raise your hand, please? I'm sorry, according to this verse, you're all lost. <laughs> Very sorry about that. Welcome to church today. You are all lost. But this is the problem, right? It, the problem is that the, this source and resource, Scripture, that we go to for this deep worldview, for this grand story, this grand narrative, at times can be accessed poorly. And when it is accessed poorly, you can actually come away with the opposite thought than you should have, than the one that you should have. hear this. Now, I'm, this is, again, kind of giving away the end of the, the sermon, and, but I want you to stay with me. In our tradition, when we say the Word of God, and when we even write it and we capitalize the W, we're talking about Jesus. That didn't excite very many of you. I'm, I'm going to assume you didn't hear me, okay? So... There are some traditions that would so elevate the words on the page that you almost get the impression that they're worshiping the Bible. We do not worship the Bible here. We actually, we are desperately, desperately pouring over Scripture, and it means a whole lot to us, but it means a whole lot to us in that it points to and helps us to know about the Word of God, which is Jesus himself. So here is this verse, right? So you have to be really careful. I, I, was, I started to do this, and, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I decided not to. I was going to take uh, a word from one portion of the Bible, from one letter, and that word was going to be Jason. I was going to put a little reference beneath it, so the word Jason. Then I was going to find the word eight, because that's in the Bible too, and I was going to put the little reference beneath that. Uh, reference beneath that. Jason, eight, uh, 
dog. I was going to put dog right there. And then the last one. So the, the Bible would have said to us, the way that I was accessing Scripture, Jason ate a dog, but it had been, been from four different passages of Scripture. Sometimes we do that with Scripture. Sometimes what we do is we sort of turn Scripture into a glorified ransom note. You know what I mean when I say that? You can't do that with Scripture. Scripture is telling a much larger story, but it's always, always pointing. Even the Old Testament stuff, it's always pointing to this Jesus character. And Jesus, this is the title of the sermon today, Jesus has to be the lens through which we understand Scripture. So what about this, John? It says right here, it says right here, yeah. But you have to understand the context. Now, the context is in a large way, all of Scripture. In a smaller way, we're talking to a group of people who find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea in the midst of all these different faith communities who look different and who practice differently. One of those particular faith communities had this awful, nasty habit of putting tattoo marks and cutting their own flesh in worship rituals. And so what's being said to these people is, stand out. You are my people, my people that I have organized and formed to somehow embody the mission and the dream and the purposes of God. You are not to look like or be like those people. So at the end of the day, this verse does not say, don't get a tattoo. What this verse does say, especially when it is heard within the context of the larger story, is you are my people. You are to be organized and shaped as my people so that people can know, and just by looking at you, what God is like. Because I know some folks with tattoos who help me to know what God is like. And that's the point. Does that make some sense to you? Well, good, because over the years, it has not made sense to people, and people have gone to great lengths to punish people who thought and said what I just said, including Jesus. Now, what we're doing right here is this a very, uh, it's a very big word. That word is hermeneutics, that branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts. And so what I'm going to try to say to you today is this. We have a way to interpret Scripture. There is this one reliable way to interpret Scripture. And if we try to use any other interpretive lens other than this one way of interpreting Scripture, we're going to find ourselves at cross-purposes with the dream of God for all of life. And that one way to interpret Scripture has a name. Jesus. One way to interpret Scripture now today, now you, we are in this giant sermon series called Kingdom Come, and we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, but this sermon actually has lots of little serieses within it. And this is kind of, in some sense, an introduction to another six-week-long series, and every time, every time, that sermon will start, the text will start with Jesus saying this, you have heard that it was said, but I say. You have heard that it was said, but I say, what is Jesus doing? Is Jesus telling us to rip the Old Testament out of our Bibles? No. Jesus is saying, this, this is what God means when God says, I will have a people to embody me. Hermeneutics. We're going to do a little bit of an exercise in hermeneutics as we use Jesus as the lens to help us to know what that passage of Scripture is supposed to mean for us here Oklahoma City in 2014. Now, this is dangerous stuff 
you have to look no further than the life of Christ. As Jesus insisted on these kinds of things, the, the, the vulture started to circle. To this day, to this day, <laughs> there will be people who will say, wait a minute, you don't believe the Bible. That happened to me not too long ago. A man walked up to me and said, I don't think you believe the Bible. I said, I, I think you're wrong. I think you do believe the Bible. He says, well, I believe in every word that's written in it. I said, okay, me too. He said, it doesn't sound like it. He said, do you believe the scripture to be inerrant without mistake? And I said, well, absolutely. As long as what we're talking about is how people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I believe that scripture is inerrant as it pertains to all things having to do with salvation and spiritual formation sanctification. But I don't think scripture is meant to be read like a science book. I got one, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> turns out, turns out, the Church of the Nazarene studied this for four years and at the last assembly in 2013, and it's going to be on our sermon resources page on our website. There is a big, long paper, and if you'd like to read about all of this, and some of you are those kinds of people, and you will like to read about it. It's going to be there if you want to kind of work through what the Church of the Nazarene believes. And the Church of the Nazarene believes and taught me what I believe about Scripture. The same thing. We do not look at Scripture and idolize the words printed on the page. We read Scripture always with this one lens. Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So what that means is, you will not hear from this platform that it has to have been a six-day creation. If you insist that it's a six-day creation, you will always be welcome here. That's the other thing I really like about the Church of the Nazarene. You will always be welcome here. Now, we will not teach that as if somehow you're going to be graded on whether or not you accept that. You're not going to hear that. What you will hear here is that all Scripture points to this Jesus character. Do I believe Scripture to be inerrant? Absolutely, as it has to do with salvation, as it has to do with sanctification. I believe that Scripture, without fail and without blemish, without mistake, testifies to the nature of God we see in Christ. So that means, John, that you're getting rid of the Old Testament. No, not, not at all. In fact, I learned a lot from Jesus this week. Hear this. Apparently, there were people who thought, oh, this Jesus person is somehow trying to get rid of our Old Testament, which for them would have been the Law and the Prophets, the Law and the Prophets. There was this argument out there, the scuttlebutt was that Jesus wanted to get rid of the Law and the Prophets and see himself as a complete replacement for all of that. Now, that mindset kind of exists to this day as well. You will see a lot of Bibles to this day that have no Old Testament except for the book of Psalms and only a New Testament. But Jesus is saying, no, not at all. Do not allow yourself to think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not to abolish, but to fulfill. What does it mean to fulfill? Well, you could do this, and it might help you a little bit. You hear the word fulfill, just kind of flip the syllables. To fill them full of meaning. Here, here is a real problem that has been for millennia. 
when the people of God obsess about the letter of the law and miss the point of the law. If you know that to be a problem, say amen. And we still have the awful tendency to obsess about the letter of the law, and we have the awful human tendency to miss the spirit of the law. Jesus was dealing with people and was in a conversation in which there were people who were obsessing, obsessing over the letter of the law, and in the process, they were missing completely the point of the law. And so Jesus comes to say, wait a minute, no, I have not come to do away with all of that. I've come to give you tangible expression and tangible understanding of what it means when it says all of that. I am that tangible expression of the heartbeat of God that you can also see if you're reading properly in the law. And so, I would say this to you, church. This is not another um, commercial for Jason per se, to do spiritual formation sorts of things. But context is really important as you're reading Scripture. Context is really important. Now, it is not wrong to have the little crystal box full of the little cardboard slips that have one verse per cardboard slip. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's not bad, that's not wrong. If that is the sum total of your interaction with Scripture, it is dangerously insufficient. It's not bad, it's not wrong. It is great when there is a verse that jumps off the page and serves as a moment, a burst of inspiration for us. That's a good thing. Please understand, please understand, though, that your understanding of that verse, your interpretation, and your opportunity to perform or live out or embody that verse rests not on the foundation of that little cardboard slip, but on the foundation of your understanding of the entirety of the narrative. Because again, we do not take a little bitty verse and interpret everything, all of Scripture and all of life. We take all of Scripture and we interpret the little bitty verses. Good? Good? Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You can almost hear that somehow Jesus is is pushing back against those folks who are claiming that he wants to get rid of all of Scripture. No, 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 not at all. But, but. He will differ with the way that they emphasize certain places and certain words and phrases because, again, again, when we say word of God here, we mean what John means in John 1.1. You've probably heard this before. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the logos, the word, the message of God, and Scripture testifies to that fact. You see how this order works? See how things are prioritized? You can nod at me, it's okay, it's okay. Jesus is the word of God, and scripture testifies to Jesus being the word of God. So what is it that should have power in our lives? What is it that should have instructive power in our lives to tell us what to think and what to do, how to live, more than it is the word on the page or the word on that one cardboard slip, more than that, it should be the person of Christ.
Christ that has authority in your life. Good news, bad news. Bad news, good news. I, I thank you for agreeing with me, those of you who did there. Here's the thing. As soon as we're going to say Jesus is the lens through which we will read and access all of Scripture, as soon as we say Jesus is the standard bearer for life and what it means to be Christian, now you really have to take seriously every time I say to you that you are to look at your life and the life of Christ and confess the difference as the distance you have to travel to chase this Jesus. Some people live their Christian lives and they are guided, constructed as believers, constrained as human beings, only by the words that they see on the page. Well, so long as those words on the page are simply testimony to the larger authority, which is the person of Christ, I guess that's okay. But what we're about to see over the next six weeks is this, if you live your life, <laughs> if, you're live your, if you live your life in ways that you are somehow shaped and conformed by the letter of the law, you are probably not going far enough toward Christ. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Apparently, there were people all the way back when who were saying, oh, no, 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 Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point, so we can kind of do away with that Old Testament stuff. And Jesus is saying, now, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get rid of all that Old Testament stuff because if you do, if you teach people that they don't have to live according to the law, which points at Jesus, if you're going to do that, if you're going to get rid of all of that, you still may be in somehow, but you're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if you have the lens in place and you can then go back to Scripture and see how it is that the law and the prophets all point to and beg for and ache for this Jesus, so this Jesus who has now come, this realized kingdom, if you could go back to the law and see all of that and then teach the merit of the law because it all points at Jesus, you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here is another verse that is super spooky. So there will still be some room in heaven for people who don't necessarily agree with Jesus who wants to incorporate all the Old Testament narrative. But there does not seem to be room for people who aren't righteous. And Jesus is the one defining the terminology here. And I'm not sure that this is so much a pronouncement of guilt as much as it is an observation. Hear this. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, now, hear this. Jesus would say this about the kingdom of heaven. He, pretty fancy language when he says the kingdom of heaven is a hand. It's here. It's here. It already functions if your sense of obedience, if your sense of obedience does not outclass those who are just simply living according to the letter of the law, if you are not living beyond the line of the law, 
you're probably not participating in the kingdom of heaven. It's not the line of the law. It's not the letter of the law that should be your guide. People, hear me. It is the heartbeat of God that we see in Christ. You hear me? It is not the lines drawn by the law. It is not the letter of the law. It is the heartbeat and the mission of God that we see in Christ. That is your standard for Christianity. And Scripture testifies to that reality. So I, I have to ask you a very important question, and believe it or not, I, I kept you for so long last week, I'm just going to go easier on you this week. Plus, we have really good stories to hear from sleepy teenagers. But I need to ask you this very important question before we head to the table. When it comes to your sense of Christianity, now we need to hear this as individual believers, but also as the gathered up body of Christ. That language is super interesting to me today. When it comes to your understanding of Christianity, you don't have to say it out loud, but I need you to answer this question. What is your level of interest in this Jesus? What is your level of interest in Jesus? Your being here is a good sign. It doesn't tell you or God or any of the rest of us all that we need to know, however. What is your interest? What is the level of your interest in this Jesus? Why are you Christian? Because there are some people who want to be aligned with and grouped with Christians and the people of God, and yet they don't have this healthy fascination for Jesus. What they need out of Christianity is morality control. Because some people have the capacity to look in the mirror and be absolutely horrified at the person I might be if I don't have somebody telling me what to do and what not to do. And so you come here so as to find energy so that you can somehow control yourself and not be the monster you fear you might be. Some people are here just out of force and strength of habit. <laughs> what are you doing Sunday morning at 1030? Well, my car drives to church. <laughs> so if I'm in my car, I will probably be at the church. I just, it's just what I want to do. But that person is not necessarily interested in Jesus. The person of Christ. The present person of Christ. For some people, Jesus is, no one will say this out loud, I get this, right? But listen, for some people, Jesus is the lunatic fringe of our tradition. Hippie. Tell you what Jesus was, he was a liberal hippie. And because we feel that way about Jesus, it allows us to then fall short of the lunatic fringe of our faith. What is your interest in this Jesus? 
would you gauge your interest or your level of hunger, your appetite for Jesus? Your appetite. Now, there's a word. Maybe Christianity is, and the pursuit of Christ is, something of a hobby that you get to when you have time to, but you really enjoy it when you do. Do you know why they were mad at Jesus? Here's why folks were so angry at Jesus, and they finally got him, honestly. They were so mad at him, so angry at him, because he had the audacity to say that this is what faith is supposed to look like. What? What? This is what faith is supposed to look like? I'm not going to look like that. I'm living a different story. See what I mean when I say to you that Jesus confronts and afflicts us at those deepest levels because here's what's being said to you today. And over the next six weeks, as we go into a a mini-series within a series called The Antitheses, you have heard that it was said, but I say. Here's what's being said right out loud by Christ himself. My story's better than yours. And mine brings about life, says Jesus, and not just for you. Life, and not just for you. Tell you what, I think we're all getting close to the, the appropriate level of interest in Jesus when it frightens us. When we start to be aware of the costs attached to having that kind of interest in someone. I've seen people who are obsessed with Scripture sometimes those people were very Christian, but not all the time. The folks obsessed with Jesus always seem to end up Christian. And Scripture is an ally. I've used the term appetite. It is not a coincidence that The church, for all these years, has made it a point to have its people consume this Jesus. You know, I ask you to think about a lot of different things as as you come to the table. And and today, I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your level of interest in and your appetite for the person of Christ. By the way, what we do around here... uh, and what we call spiritual formation is a way to address your level of interest or involvement with the person of Christ. So if you would like to be more involved with, be more interested in this person, Jesus, then you need to put that on that friendship folder as we pass it back and forth. But this meal also is a tangible demonstration A tangible demonstration, yes, of the reality of God in our midst. But it's also a tangible demonstration that we are a seeking, hungry people. But I want you to come to this table today if you know you should be seeking and hungry. We have an open table here. Here's what that means. 
that all who understand their need are welcome. You do not have to be fixed just yet. All who understand their need of this Jesus are welcome. To put it in today's terms, all of those who have great appetite for Christ are welcome here today, and all of those who wish they had great appetite for Christ are welcome here today. I want to want this Jesus. Yep, you need to come to the table today. If you're going to help us, would you please come today? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and you will exit your pew to the left, and then come forward. Everything is gluten-free today. We've got uh, a matzah bread that is gluten-free, so everyone can eat from the same plate today. When you come to the front, what will happen is you'll, be, you'll come up, and there will be two people in front of you. One will be holding bread, and another will be holding a cup. Don't reach out and take a piece of bread. It will be given to you. It will be given to you. When that piece of bread is pressed into your hands, that person will say to you, the body of Christ broken for you. Then take that piece of bread and immediately dip it into the cup, the person who is standing right beside the first person. When you dip it into the cup, that person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then right then and there, take and eat the bread. Is everything all right over there? Okay. Just making sure. All right. (laughs) Then take and eat right then and there. And then you have a decision to make after you have eaten. I hope that you will all decide to pray. The decision that you'll make is where you'll go about this praying. These altars will be open. These wooden altars, kneeling altars, will be open for the prayers of the people. I would like to reserve the padded altars on the sides for folks who are in need of prayers for healing. And someone will meet you there. If you need physical healing, relational healing, mental, emotional healing, someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and pray that prayer that we believe in so deeply, a prayer for healing. But these altars here that I've said are open for the prayers of the people are going to be open for those people who want to say, I want more of this Jesus or I wish I did. Well, that should cover about all of us, shouldn't it? Yes, you can pray the same prayer at your pew. If and when you prayed up here, you will get the deep impression that you never pray alone, that you're not in that boat by yourself because someone will come alongside. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And use them, God, to nurture our appetites for more and more and more of Jesus. Strengthen us to be your people. Strengthen us, God, to take that long look in the mirror to see how it is that we are being shaped. Strengthen us, God, to have the audacity and the courage to examine which story we are living. So on the night that he was betrayed, that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. The same way he took the cup and he held the cup up in front of them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood shed for you. Every time you drink of this cup, 
Remember me and be grateful. across the sanctuary, all of those who want more of this Jesus and those who wish they did. All of you are welcome at the table. So I invite you to stand now, exit your pew to the left, come forward and receive. Fix our eyes, be the sin.
someone here, someone for whom you could be another expression of the tangibility of God, I would invite you around the church to find somebody to pray with. shouldn't stray very far from this very important question about the level of our appetites or the level of our collected corporate appetite for Christ. I want to invite you now to pray this very simple prayer. God, I want more of you. I want more of Jesus or I wish I did. Help me to want more of you.
God, point me to those places, perhaps to those people who will help me to find more of you or help me to find more of an appetite for you. know someone who is hurting. We all know someone who is broken somehow. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe it's something else altogether. You know someone in need of healing, and it might be you. But I want to encourage you to pray full-throated prayer for healing right now. That doesn't mean you necessarily make any noise, but pray that prayer, God, heal. Heal this person. Heal the situation. God, do what you do. Bring healing. God, we can pray no better prayer than this one, that you would take our interest and grow it into a deep curiosity where Jesus is concerned, that you would then take curiosity and grow it into a fascination for Jesus. God, take what might be a healthy fascination for Jesus and turn it into some kind of a healthy, good obsession. May we be known as a church, a gathering of people. May we be known as individual believers. May we be known as people who relentlessly pursue this Jesus who happens also to be relentlessly pursuing us. May this be the lens through which we will read and interpret scripture. May this be the standard to which we'll aspire look more and more and more like this Jesus until at some point people will have a hard time telling us apart. Christ and the body of Christ. Having said that, God, we recognize that there is great danger in installing Jesus as this standard bearer, as the, the point toward which we are all striving. We understand that there's some danger there because if we are in fact going to relentlessly pursue Christ, 
we know somehow deep within us, we know that it will happen at a cost, at a price. So God, would you help us to accurately determine that cost and that price, no matter how high it might be. And then slowly but surely, God, would you romance us so that that cost seems to be smaller and smaller, or at least worth it more and more so all the time. What we're praying, God, is that at some point, as we respond to your your call, your repeated calls. What we're praying is that at some point we would see fit to give you our entire lives. And then wait patiently to see what it is that you would give back to us. So grow us to that point. May we be those kinds of people be the kinds of people who are described in this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. So church, we will close this time of prayer by praying this very familiar prayer. We'll pray it today using debts and debtors, so let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.